And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com. And use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CP. Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, Red Eye Radio is what we are. He is Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. I'm sorry, I'm just laughing. Uh, the um, Jim Garrity's column in National Review. <laughs> yeah. Where he just, it's like, hey, everybody, okay, everybody, let's get this over with. Everybody, <laughs> no. go through all your old papers. So uh, I'm here at the office yesterday, middle of the day, and I jump into my truck to leave, and the story is breaking about Mike Pence. And that's exactly what was going through my head. Okay, everybody stop. Everybody stop. And search your house. It's time to get this out of the way. That's funny. Um, I saw a couple of uh, analysts say, all right, this is uh, the further we go, uh, the less likely it is that anybody's going to get indicted. I don't know about that. Uh, The cases are all very different, by the way. Um, But the thing about the, you know, the Pence thing is that the liberal media wanted to pounce on it. Uh, and, you know, and, and a couple of them were kind of giddy talking about it. It was kind of laughable and funny, but it really, what capped the day was the fact that of all the people to jump out and defend Mike Pence, it was Donald Trump on truth social, you know, that Mike Pence has not never done anything intentionally wrong in his life leave him alone the guy didn't do anything wrong but you know this was the media's uh for some of them it was their respite you know okay we can take the focus for a minute off joe biden and then i thought at the end of the day i thought well just give it a minute joe biden will give you another reason to focus on joe biden that's not going away. And, of course, if you watch the uh, presser, oof, it was brutal. And over and over again, we're 
I mean, it's demonstrated in, in front of the American people that the incompetence is just mind-boggling and and is from the top down at the White House. It really is. It really is. Now I can see why uh, Ron Klain is leaving. <laughs> you, you want to get out before it all falls. And it's apparently uh, uh, that it's going to happen right after the uh, State of the Union. Ron Klain, White House Chief of Staff. But there's no way to control the message anymore. I'm waiting for them to come out and say, no press event today. Because you've got Corrine Jean-Pierre, who basically won't say anything anymore. Uh, just talk to White House counsel. Just talk to White House counsel. Talk to White House counsel. Is there going to be a press event tomorrow? Talk to White House counsel. It doesn't, there's just nothing they want to say about this. And they could have avoided all of this. So now, now they finally get their talking points together like they should have from the beginning. But the difference is, is that she still can't control him. Biden has only spoken a few words. And in those few words, just a few things that he has said, he has wrecked the whole thing. It's his response right. to this. It isn't just the documents. Plenty of questions there. I, it's his response. Yeah. I, I think the worst responses come from the White House, though, mm-hmm. uh, was Corrine Jean-Pierre uh, when Ducey asked her the question, is a president involved in a cover-up? And she was, uh, 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 and, uh, well, uh, he takes these things very serious. Not answering as, as the correct answer would be, even if it's a lie, you go, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. And mm-hmm. she didn't say that. that That's re- her worst response ever. That was Yeah, that was the worst response she ever had. I'm just was reading from Andrew McCarthy. Uh, was this? Uh, I'm trying to say. No, I'm sorry. This was Andrew McCarthy. This was the Wall Street Journal. Uh, you know, talking about the the whole uh, uh, classified information, and they're saying that Pence is saying they believe it may be classified, but they're not sure. Not sure if it's you know they may have some classified markings, but don't know. And so you know did whatever he did. He goes, but if that's a true accounting, what Pence said. It looks more uh, of a venial sin than Mr. Biden's scattering of classified material in a diffused, uh, excuse me, in a uh, disused office, his home and garage next to his Corvette. Ditto for Mr. Trump's reluctance to return the classified files at Mar-a-Lago despite a subpoena. Yet it's hard not to wonder what might be lurking in the closets of other former senators and cabinet secretaries. To anyone whose livelihood involves carefully and properly handled secret information, the apparent carelessness at the top of the organizational chart is probably nothing sort of stunning. All of this should inspire a drive to classify much less information in the first instance. The good news is that the notion of prosecuting a politician for mere unauthorized retention of such material is becoming more uh, farcical all the time. Mr. Biden and Mr. Trump, two contenders for the White House, Already under investigation, Mr. Pence now appears to be the third presidential prospect on the wrong side of uh, rules. The transfer of power between Election Day and January 20th involves a whirlwind of paper. Uh, Shorn of the context from Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden, the boxes at Mr. Pence's homes would probably get a news story on A12 and a normal day. One frustration is that the public isn't hearing clear explanations of the documents at issue, including their potential 
to undermine national security. This is across the board, I think. What are we talking about here? Boilerplate briefings on Ukraine military that are long since outdated or deeply sensitive information that could tip off adversaries to U.S. capabilities or spies. A.G. Garland could have owned these inquiries himself and defended the Justice Department's ability to do its job under normal political accountability. Instead, he opened a Pandora's box by appointing Jack Smith as a special counsel for Mr. Trump. That led to Robert Kerr as a special counsel for Mr. Biden. The silver lining is that every time another official finds some secret documents in the basement behind a dusty bike, the odds go up that the voters will get the final say on this behavior in 2024. That would be best for the country. So, um, you know, it's, you know, when you look at this here, and, and, and again, are we declassifying too much? The answer from many of the experts is yes, that we declassify, you know, way too much. But the other thing is, Nobody's telling us the seriousness. The only thing that we know is in Biden's un- unused office was these were top secret. Those were some of the highest level of classified. We don't know anything else about any of the other documents that exist out there. So you don't know the seriousness of it. You really don't. Right. Yeah. And, and something can have something, you know, could have cl- classified markings on it, but had been declassified last week. Last month, you know, you mm. don't know. Right. And so mm. the fact that, you know, that the public doesn't know any of this, it doesn't without you don't need to tell us what the secret is about unless it's declassified, then you can. Yeah. Right. But the the seriousness of it, everything is so, you know, generic here, but it all started out where. You know, I believe, unless there's more information that comes out, that doing the raid on Trump's place was the wrong thing to do because that set off all of this in motion. Yeah. And right. then the perception of the public is, OK, you know, this isn't it's like, well, we're just go at we go after Trump and, you know, that's that's fine because it's Trump and you can go after him and nobody minds. And all of a sudden the boom thing here on Biden and everybody's screaming, wait a minute, the FBI's contemplating about whether to do, you know, more searching. Obviously, you should do more searching in this particular case. Right. Even if you even if you if you negotiate it, that's something that gets negotiated in an hour. Yes. Because and, and everything should be gone through because it's been scattered all over the place. In the case of Trump, where they said secure these documents and they did in the safe and the Secret Service was there. That's where you get a subpoena that day. Mm-hmm. from a judge saying he's got this stuff and then Trump would have to abide by what the court says then the court's involved in it it's not the current executive branch against the last executive branch it's the courts being involved they're the arbiter of this entire thing and that's how it should have been done yeah and there is you know because if if you're to believe the and I don't believe it. The idea that the FBI is contemplating. Why would you? What do you mean contemplating? When you did your other search, you found something. So it stands to reason there's a decent chance you'll come across something when you search another property. Yeah. What are you waiting on? Exactly. Because oh. 
there's and that's why <clears throat> there's no doubt in my mind this is about negotiation. But there is no win for the Biden camp. Right. But uh, let me say let me just rephrase what I said on the Trump thing. They they had they got the subpoena, but then you go back to the judge and says he won't abide by the subpoena, and then you get the judge to say, Okay, sorry, uh you're in contempt of court. Mm-hmm. And I'm issuing the search warrant. The judge issues it, not the executive branch of the president, you know, of the of the next president. Not that executive branch. You do it through the courts if you want the perception that it's not political. Right. And that's what they should have done in the Trump case. And they didn't do that. And they wanted to make it a very high profile raid because it was Trump. You can't convince me otherwise because that's not the process they should have gone through in order to get these things from one room. Because they're certainly not doing it when there's a lot more carelessness, obviously, from what we all know, with Biden. Right. Well, and there's the problem. Is that you've got you put on this big show for Trump when he wasn't there, by the way. You, you did that to go into his property, and now we're thinking about continuing our search with yeah. Biden. Because I can hear it, well, it's a sitting president. So it's unprecedented territory that was before you raided Trump's place, too. So... That was a big deal then. And I get it. There's no doubt I that this wouldn't be a very difficult negotiation, especially with this particular president. I guarantee you he's put the foot on the brakes. They don't get to do this. I do this. I run this. I say so. They don't get to tell me. And he's not happy about it because it turned out they found something. Because I believe, I, I think it's a, a very sound theory that they're looking at it going, okay, look, we, we haven't done our own search here. It's been his people up till now. We can't have a special prosecutor start the job. And when they come to us and say, did you conduct a search? And then answer, no. We're going to have to do a search. So you do the search. I wondered if, if they even thought that they would find anything. And they find more items. And now... Well, and and that's we're led to believe that um, we don't know if we're going to do more searching. And but that's why you wouldn't have needed a special counsel uh, if you go to if you know initially on with Trump, which then led to okay, we need to be equal and do a special counsel here. If you would have gone to the courts first, yep, with Trump, right, right. and say okay, no, no, I mean he's, honestly, he's 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 not honoring the subpoena, okay. If you don't honor the subpoena, you're in contempt of court. Right. And I'm calling for a search warrant tomorrow. If you, do, I mean, you bring his lawyers in front of it, you do yep. that. Right. And I guarantee that next day the search would have taken place at the Trump place. Right. We all know that's how it would have happened. Yep. You're not going to defy a federal court judge. Right. That's how it should have been done in the Trump case. Yep. And if you have to do it in this particular case, that's how you do it. Now, if it's a sitting president... And, you know, uh, uh, you know, again, the problem is it's two different things. The carelessness at the minimum of the Biden situation. 
and yeah. how widespread they were. Mm-hmm. And then again, understanding how the public views it, you know, because the political part of it is because we don't have the any evidence of it, but because we know about Hunter Biden and that he lived there, the the political the perception politically is that this could be involved in the influence peddling. Right. That's where the political perception is possible criminal activity. Right. You know, the only thing, they can't find a motive with Trump. I just didn't want to do what you want to tell me to do. I just didn't want to do it. it I remember originally they were trying to find, oh, it's the Saudis and it's yeah, the live right. golf tournament and it's, and right. that, that blew away. Nobody could ju- Nobody could make uh, that angle. Because that's what it comes down to. With Trump, it, it seems that the National Archives, they were aware either uh, the whole time or early, very early on that the, that he had these documents. So the chain of custody really isn't even a question. No. In the Trump. Yeah. And so beyond that, the media tried to, well, look, the Saudis, the Saudis, in terms of anybody who might have had access to those documents but nobody is making that case anymore well you could actually make that case with pence that the chain of custody is not clear because you just you just you you just you know he's telling you it was in this particular place well how did it get there and said it it inadvertently packed and sent there right well how did that happen yeah what was that chain of everybody knows exactly what the chain of custody was from trump exactly white house marlago out of all the three that right. part of it, the chain of custody, is most certain in the Trump case. Eight six six ninety red eye Starting and charging system-related issues are one of the most common causes of winter breakdowns. So when your batteries talk, it's important you listen. Knowing the warning signs that could indicate your electrical system needs attention can help you avoid getting stuck out in the cold this winter. Your truck's inability to crank at the proper speed is the most obvious sign that a battery-related issue is present. If you experience any sluggishness when cranking your engine, get a full electrical system check from a trusted service provider. Continuing to crank a vehicle with low or inadequate voltage will damage the starter and can cost you uptime down the road. This report brought to you by Luberfiner, engineering filters that are built to do more for heavy-duty fleets since 1996. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, so I just saw mm-hmm. this story, you know, th- after the whole uh, M&M, M&M's thing the other day of pausing instead of having spokes candies. And I'll be I'll admit, I didn't know that much about that, that controversy, apparently, from a couple of years ago yeah. and how they have the former SNL. Yeah. Uh, my Rudolph. Yeah, who's now going to be the spokesperson instead of the candies, whatever. And then the story comes out. A&W Root Beer puts pants on polarizing mascot bear. Rudy the Great Root Beer, the mascot of A&W restaurants for 60 years, will henceforth be wearing denim jeans. In a Twitter post, the company suggested that Rudy's lack of pants was polarizing. Okay. America, let's talk. Since 1963, Rudy the Great Root Beer... Excuse me, Great Root Bear 
mm. has been our beloved spokesperson, our bear. <laughs> we knew people would notice because he's literally a six-foot-tall bear wearing an orange sweater. But now we get it. Even mascots, lack of pants, can be polarizing. I would think putting pants on a bear would be more polarizing. But that's just me. <laughs> Message and data rates may apply. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Call and join the conversation. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. Now, some interesting stories from yesterday. MSNBC yeah. columnist and New York University professor Ruth Ben-Gayet mocked, was mocked for attacking Governor DeSantis yesterday as a dangerous authoritarian for suggesting that teachers should confiscate cell phones during class. DeSantis announced new measures on Monday to combat critical race theory in education while also protecting educators' rights to push back against unions. One of his uh, comments also included efforts by school boards to improve education, such as tackling the use of cell phones during class. I think to myself, why are these kids on their phones during class all the time? I mean, I think a school district would be totally within their rights to say, you know what, leave your phone in some uh, cubbyhole or something, go sit in the class and learn. Yeah. And if you get it at recess and you want to text people, fine. But they should not uh, always be on their phones being distracted from the lesson. So I think that our school boards will be able to learn, uh, uh, lean in on some stuff, uh, too. The uh, clip spread on Twitter and Ben Gatt claiming that this was another example of DeSantis pushing an authoritarian mindset. This is how lost MSNBC is. He is so dangerous in every way. Every way? Every way. Really? Said Ben Gatt tweeted, truly an authoritarian personality. That the teachers should be able to control their students. Yes. Okay. Many Twitter users mocked the comment for resembling a liberal parody. <laughs> No, I mean, if you were to, if I were to see that, it would look like something from Babylon B. Yes. Or, you know. As well as suggesting students without phones in a class is akin to authoritarianism. 
National Review senior writer Dan McLaughlin wrote, apparently teachers controlling their own classroom yeah. is now authoritarianism. You know who else doesn't get to have cell phones? Prisoners. I like this one. The Spectator contributing editor, Stephen Miller, said students shouldn't have cell phones and be on TikTok in the classroom. He's Hitler. (laughs) How dare you? So now you want them to what? Face forward? Pay attention to the teacher? Federalist senior writer David Harzani said, next thing you know, these Nazis will ask kids not to chew gum in class. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was satire. I was wrong, said podcast host Chrissy Clark. I mean, it just kept going and going and going and going. But, you know, this is a kind of normal programming. I mean, this is normal on MSNBC now. Yeah, it is. I mean, they just got off, gone off the deep end, and you wonder, who is their audience? Yeah, right. You know, tell me of a Democrat mother or father that believes that if a government official says kids should be learning in class and shouldn't have their cell phones on, and teachers should be able to have the authority. By the way, I think in most schools... I thought teachers did have the authority. This is surprising me that teachers don't have the authority to tell kids to turn off their cell phones. Uh, I know with my great nephew, I can't reach him during school hours. Right. Whenever I text him, I text him, you know, normally after three o'clock or uh, at, you know, between seven and eight in the morning before he has to go to school. Right. And I can guarantee your phones are not on in class. The first thing you we, have to do is... We weren't allowed to use calculators. <laughs> but but they're complaining that kids can't have the Googleverse in their hand. I want to make this clear. I am old enough to remember in my engineering classes, in my first couple of years uh, in classes... Mm-hmm. Uh, in in class in college, excuse me. Yeah, that we were not allowed to use calculators. Had really just come out. The portable calculator had just come out. We had to use the slide rule. Did you use that in the electronics club? <laughs> Your slide rule? No, I don't believe I ever used the slide rule in electronics club. But calculus, yes. That that, yes. that yes. will cause you to lose your lunch money. Yes. <laughs> still got to find that picture for you I i'll just I i'll just keep it right here in my pocket I, protector I, I started searching uh and I, I forgot i was i didn't continue the search looking for that uh, that picture to show you of me in the electronics club in 10th grade yeah like i said definition of a dweeb it, it really is you look and you go oh yeah you are a dweeb yeah. <laughs> there is there is no other word yeah I, I wish there could be another word you know not even nerd more mm-hmm. I will say this so I'm the only I think I'm one of the few that doesn't have glasses on yeah which right. then now looking back at it a couple of decades later okay a couple of thousand decades later I wonder are p- 
people that are drawn to electricity vision impaired because the vast majority had glasses on <laughs> and they're all 10th and 11th grade? <laughs> or was that a was that a style statement that I didn't know about? That I was even rejected by the electronic club nerds. That's because why you didn't I was have in the glasses. Yes, that's why I was in the dweeb yeah, classification, yeah. not a electronics club nerd. Entering my sophomore year, I had two T-shirts. One was uh, from a relatively new band called Motley Crue that had a massive pentagram <laughs> on the back of it. The other one was from the former lead singer of Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne, and he was holding an upside-down cross on it. So I go through the first six months of that sophomore year, and finally I become friends with this guy, and he finally says to me, you know, we we were all just afraid of you. We thought you were, we, we thought you were here for our souls. It just turns out you only own two T-shirts. <laughs> That's oh my. a true story. Oh my! Oh, uh, I, I really because I've seen the picture of you, the one, the one you showed me one time where you have the real long hair. Yeah, yeah. and so I do wonder what would be more shocking to our listeners. That picture of you or my dweeb picture. Yeah. Think about this. You take that picture of you. Were you in high school then or out of high school? Um, I don't know which one that was. If it was a radio, an old radio picture, I was just fresh out of high school. So I would have been yeah, about 18. Yeah, because your hair was real. I would love mm -hmm. to take that picture and then my picture side by side and say, these two guys will be co-host together of a radio national radio show someday mm -hmm. yeah like, no way that's not happening yeah <laughs> both of us would have said that at the time no no not that not, not that hippie <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then you not that dweeb <laughs> yeah not that dweeb yeah i uh i you know but this is what we should expect because, you know, you years ago, they they tied the hands of, of uh, teachers and some administrators in being able to discipline children. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean, look, when I was in high school, I got a, I got a paddling one time. I got spanked. Oh, my gosh. I got spanked. Spanked. Wow. It would send you to the office to get spanked. I never got spanked. I got picked up by my earlobes one time. Well, really? Where, where I could feel that you like it. You mean up. like in a bad way or a good way? No, bad. Okay. No, there is no good way. I don't know. You should get out more. <laughs> well, no wonder you had. No wonder. Is that what you long haired hippies did? That's why we wore the long hair. <laughs> Hide the ears. Just cover the ears. <laughs> Mr. Walker, I didn't, it was like the third day in a row or something that I didn't dress out for P.E. Mm -hmm. And so I go to Mr. Walker, the assistant principal. Well, Mr. Harley, you know what this means. 
Actually, I don't. <laughs> and he gets out the paddle. I'm like, wow. Oh, really? Really? And it wasn't, but uh, that was in my junior year. Of high school? Yeah. Get this. Wow. Three years later, he was running for city council, and I interviewed him on the air <laughs> in studio. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> and I'll just say this. No spanking was involved on that. <laughs> True story. Um, he was I've... a good guy. Since we did not have corporal punishment in the schools we went to, how many was it a wood paddle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many times did you get whacked? I don't remember. I, I don't remember. Did it hurt? No, because my father used to. You I, know, that I would have remembered. My see, I remember as a kid, my father yeah. used to spank me with the belt, mm -hmm. and the key was you learned to scream and cry before you even got the first hit. Yeah. Hopefully reducing the amount of hits that you would get. Yeah. That's what I remember. Right. <laughs> but you really couldn't, if you're in high school, you can't cry. Well, it's, you know, I, I remember one time walking by the office and a buddy of mine comes out of the office. I said, hey, what's up, John? He goes, I just got a paddling. I said, <laughs> okay, but you're smiling. So either it didn't hurt or you're a pervert. <laughs> It's it's one it's one of the two. Oh my! No, just think about that now. Saying it out loud <laughs> is weird. Well, you know the one thing from high school. <laughs> I got a spanking. Well, the, the the one thing from high school that we that we always talk about, and yeah. and and it's it's funny because I my fiftieth high school reunion is this year, mm. and so everybody talks about it. Do we do do the boys? Still swim naked in the pool. Everybody swam naked in the pool. Which pool? It, so it, I can avoid it. In in the high school pool, every every boy swam naked. And I don't know whether they used to say As it was because of the bathing suit and policy? the policy. And the yes. Every I can't imagine it today. But it was normal. Everybody swam naked at my high school. Camera and I'll I'll tell you this to 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 verify it, you can ask uh, uh, Wolf Blitzer because he went to my high school. <laughs> and ask Wolf Blitzer on CNN because they were doing the same thing when he was there. So Wolf Blitzer was swimming naked in the Kenmore West swimming pool. Hey, hey, uh, Wolf, uh, uh, by the way, thanks for having me on. And, and I do want to comment on uh, the president and the classified documents and whatnot. Uh, but did you swim naked? In I got a question for you. <laughs> Kenmore West, you ever swim naked? <laughs> naked. Like Peter Graves in the movie <laughs> Airport. You ever swim naked in a pool? Yes. And I don't know if we because everybody that's they talk about it on the alumni site constantly. Everybody's try, always trying to fight. Why did we do that? And yeah. everybody's yeah. dying because it was like it was normal. And we're like, yeah. did the women do that's it? Not, that's not. That's not normal. I've never heard now, of that. Now the women did not. The women for yeah, apparently did would, not. It would be wrong. But but the, but the men, the boys, <laughs> I we all we all swam naked. Yeah, mm. not in the swim meets. Mm. I said. Was, by the it, way, I said movie airport. It's airplane. Airplane. Not airport. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I had to correct myself. I know because I could hear the emails coming in. But you were very disturbed by 
my revelation there of what we did in high no, school. No, that's that's just weird. <laughs> it was. That's, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea how we started this Are conversation. Sure that wasn't an initiation of some sort. No, it was not. Enough. Were you the only one on the swim team? No. I uh, bet you I bet you you can well I'll get emails from other people where they had to do the same thing in their high school. Okay. I don't know why, but mm. it was, you know, we never yeah, figured please, out why. Please done. don't send some, pictures. Some said it was because of the way the bathing suits were made and the filters at that time. Okay. But, but we, but for swim team, we wore our bathing suits. Yeah. So I don't See, know. that doesn't make sense. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. I just put it into Google. Yeah. Why did boys swim naked in high school in the 60s and 70s? A letter from the Department of Public Education stated that nudity for boys was practiced throughout the state to promote sanitation and save time. Yeah. Okay. Still weird. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, 86690-RED-EYE. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Download our app today, our Red Eye Radio app, and you can listen when and where you want if you can't listen live. Overnight to the show. All right, so in my life, mm-hmm. I've been laid off a few times. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Trying to think. Most of my layoffs. Uh, okay. Report to human resources. Mm-hmm. And go to human resources. Uh, we're sorry we're terminating your position. Uh, here is, you know, whatever forms you would need. Mm-hmm. Trying to think of. I got, I uh, can't even remember. Because uh, when I was a, when I was a machinist, I got laid off twice. Mm. And, n- well, I don't know if I, when I got laid off, I got another job, so I don't even know if they ever called me back again. Both were union shops. I don't believe I ever got called back. Right. And I believe it was very, very short. You know, you went to the, you know, little office right outside the machine shop, and it was like, sorry, you you know, we got to let you go. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And Okay, bye. Yeah. Bye, guys. And you right. you walked out. Mm-hmm. Um radio very few times it has happened um but it was the same thing i remember knowing i walked in i got called up to one office and i walked in i said well that's it right yep all right here's your severance pay here's the contractual severance pay that you have and everything else and here's all the documents you need all right uh take care you you do i got to be walked out by security or anything no nah you're okay you can say goodbye to everybody okay fine 
Now, I'll say that I got there were some places where you were uh, escort, uh, escorted out by security. Yeah, right. Uh, and I worked for a couple places where that happened, but they never did it for me. Mm. I said, no, you're you're OK. Um, For me. Just my mindset, everybody is different. Uh, as soon as, as soon as they said, you're done, in my mind, I was done and looking forward. Mm-hmm. I never looked, I just, that was my mindset. Especially if it ever happened, the few times it happened in radio. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't do any good to look back. And the reason I bring this up is, this story from yesterday during an all hands meeting on Monday, Google employees who made it through the latest round of mass layoffs pounded the CEO with request to help preserve their mental well-being. In lieu of potential further job cuts, many workers called on Google executives to put their psychological safety first, according to Insider. Quote, how are we supposed to ever feel safe again, one employee asked, telling the higher-ups that psychological safety is paramount. Another wondered whether they should keep working super hard, asking, does it matter? Their fears... Uh, were spurred on by allegations that many of those who were let go had been high performers. I understand you're worried about what comes next for your work, said the CEO, adding that he was very sad for the loss of some really good colleagues across the company. Uh, According to CNBC, the employees were told that the composition of the layoffs was determined via consultation with founders, controlling shareholders, board of directors, and 750 senior leaders, who probably should have been laid off first. I was going to say. (laughs) (laughs) They've got that kind of time. He noted that over the past two years, uh, Google experienced periods of dramatic growth. I I just find it interesting because, you know, I just, those questions in my day and age, just you never asked and I never... You know, if um, I sort I I always you can sort of sense and I will say this in layoffs that I've seen, I've seen the best people go. I've seen people go uh, when I was uh, both times I was laid off as a machinist. Hmm. I was told directly by management, we wouldn't let you go if it wasn't for the union where seniority reigns because you're more productive. Hmm. I got told that twice. I didn't care. It was like, doesn't matter what the reason is. You look forward. There's nothing I can do. You can't change it. Yeah. And, and that's just, that's how I was, that's how I was taught. And that, you know, and you're taught that. I mean, I, it just doesn't come naturally. I mean, I, that came from, that came from the teachings of, of, uh, my parents, probably primarily in that case, my father. Mm-hmm. It does you no good. Doesn't do, doesn't do a damn bit of good to sit there and, and so I don't think, in in my radio career one time, I was at a job for just uh, 10 months. And a new general manager, general manager came in and said, you're making too much money. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know how much I was making? Hmm. 36000 
whoa, and you're making too much money. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I said, uh, uh, and, and, and uh, my boss let me go, not the general manager. Right. And so I went into the new general manager's office, and he had already been working there. I forgot what position he held in sales or whatever. And I just went in, and I went in, and I, I said, can I talk to you a second? And he jumped up. He was scared. It's like, I said, I just want to really thank you for everything that, you know, thank you for the opportunity and everything else. And mm-hmm. uh, I just don't burn bridges. And did I believe it was unfair? I guess so. It's, but I didn't, I didn't really worry about that. It's like, you know, they do what they're going to do. I do what I'm going to do. And I thanked him and, and, and uh, I said goodbye to a couple of the people and I was walking out of the office and he called me back into his office and he said, I've never seen that before in my life. Anything you need. And this was back, I, there was, you know, I didn't have cell phone, cell cell phones or anything like that. He said, anything you need to find a new job, anything you need to come in. You you can come in here five days a week. You can sit. Here's an office over here. You can sit, you can make phone calls, you can make copies, anything that you need. will take care of your job search. And I said, well, thank you. That's, you know, that's really cool. I really didn't need it uh, because uh, I was walking out and my immediate boss came up to me and says, oh, let's go out for a drink. And I said, I can't, I got to look, go look for a job. And I actually sent out stuff that, that night and in the morning, uh, I sent it out that night. Or I, I got to the post office of so my show ended at five and I got out of there that quick. And by six o'clock, I had mailed, you know, uh, at the post office, a um, uh, dropped it in, a, over, you know, priority or overnight something right in the mailbox. Mm-hmm. The next morning I uh, woke up and my, the phone's ringing. And uh, that's when I got hired at our great affiliate, WLS in Chicago. Right. And I actually, this is, God is my witness. The person told me, they said, uh, you know, this is WLS. and You know, we'd like to talk to you about a job. And I thought it was a friend of mine because I was, there's no way this happened. It's like 20 after 8 in the morning. I just mailed it out at, you know, 5 to 6 last night. Mm-hmm. And I said, actually said, F you, Mary, who I thought it was my friend who I had worked with, my coworker, playing a game on me, and it wasn't. It was was actually somebody at WLS. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, and I, I, when I realized, I apologized. And so I was in there the next day for the interview, and they brought me in, and the, the program director introduced me to everybody as the guy that told the assistant program director to basically blank off and he introduced me to everyone and that's how he introduced me to everybody there but that was really the start of my career so so i just see that when i mean i can't imagine asking you know what about my psychological well-being that has to be the concern of yours and i'm thinking what a stupid question to ask (laughs) they're gonna fire me next week they don't care about my psychological health well, you know, and being in radio for so long, you see layoffs all the time. I've only been laid off one time, and I had a full-time job. That that was I had two full-time jobs at the time. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't as big of an impact. And that day, a friend of mine hired me from the competing station. He hired me uh, to do uh, uh, work for him. And three months later... I moved to Dallas. I went from market 237 to number 7. 
Yeah, at the time yeah. it was number seven, and I. So it was this, you know, period when it, it, it probably should have affected me more. But I, I think number one, because I had full time income, I, mm-hmm. it, I didn't worry about it as much. But when, and I when, didn't have, I didn't have a family. Yeah, in my case, and when we worry, you know, about and and it. It does happen. We see layoffs happen uh, in our industry and other industries, and you go through a recession. You see many industries being affected by it, and you think to yourself, okay, all right, um, what would happen if? And I, that is part of, I think, preparation, and which is why I had two jobs at that time right. to begin with. Right. You're, you're always – and, and – you and I have all we it's funny because we had this conversation doesn't matter whether we have you know contracts or whatever we have mm-hmm. in our mind it's always been the way we work doesn't matter whether we have the security of a contract or not you and I've always approached it as if we're going to be let go next week yeah it's just the right. mindset and the intensity that you walk into so in every aspect of your life you prepare for it constantly and again that's how our parents raised us and so yeah. Uh, I actually have always felt worse, and I know we've had this conversation too off the air. I've always felt worse when other people are laying off, being laid off, or if I, in the very rare few times, I had to lay off somebody. That, to mm-hmm. me, was heartbreaking. Myself, it was like, next. Watching other people, friends and colleagues get laid off. It was uh, always worse than a, laid off. It is a, uh, it's a survivor's guilt, you know. And um, you, you feel for them. Uh, you ask a lot of questions in your mind, but I, I, you know, in this Google story, I, I really do wonder how much of it is the culture that was built in big tech and you see it, uh, the Apple campus, the, uh, what used to be the Twitter campus. We're all family. Yeah. Uh, the Google campus, but you set up these very posh working environments right um and the idea is to nurture creativity like ours we have you know but you get your massage before you can. yeah right and and the, the uh, laundromat and the uh, cafeteria and everything else and the cars that you can use uh to go run your errands during the day i mean these are all things that actually were at the google campus i, I don't know. know to what extent yeah. these days but you build that you to in order to nurture creativity and my question would be but did that also nurture uh an environment where they weren't mentally prepared when the inevitable was going to happen it's you know uh in in retail they call it overdevelopment you know well we have four starbucks already on this block i think we'll just shut one of them down we'll keep three on this block and so you go in and, and they adjust accordingly. And that's going to happen. It's going to happen in big tech. Uh, it's going to happen these days with big tech and big tech retail like Amazon. Because, again, they venture out. They spend a lot of money on something. It doesn't fly. And then they pull back. Uh, right now they're reevaluating the whole Alexa program. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. you, you think about this, this and uh, uh, the uh, uh, all of these that they were trying to, all these automated, these AI uh, convenience 
features that they were trying to monetize, they realized, oh, people just want them for the convenience. We really can't monetize it. And so we got to readjust. And that includes companies like Google. But along the way, you've got that. You may have the most creative people in the world, and they're the best at what they do. But are you also nurturing an environment where those minds are not really cut out for dealing with something like this because they're not used to it? You and I would see it in our uh, uh, time back in in the day. The idea would be you get in manufacturing and you could stay at a job for 30, 40 years, whatever, retire, mm-hmm. you get the benefits and everything else. And I worked in manufacturing too. and But we would see it. All of our friends would get laid off for a while, right? And then next thing you know, a year and a half later, they're working overtime, same job. So it was this ebb and flow. But that taught us to deal with it, I think, even before I went into, the, um, uh, in, into any career field, I was already seeing this happen around me where friends and older friends that had already graduated high school were working in jobs where that admin flow would be, well, if the job isn't there, if the if the contract isn't there, then the manufacturer slows, slows down. Sorry, we're laying off and we're all going to be out of work for whatever, six weeks, eight weeks. And then layoffs happen in a permanent fashion. But you get used to that. I wonder how many of those no, that's people great. that no. work in big tech no, that's good have never yeah. been conditioned to yeah. deal with something like that, I think this is in part evidence of that. Eight six six ninety red eye. Could the nation experience another Arctic outbreak soon? One similar to a late December, early January event. It looks like a bit of a repeat performance with the focus of this next Arctic outbreak expected to arrive in the north central United States, parts of the northern plains and upper Midwest. Just about the time the calendar turns to February and that cold outbreak could intensify in the early days of February. This weekend could signal the start of such an outbreak with a combination of the departing active storm system heading into the Atlantic Ocean and two very cold Canadian clippers bringing progressively colder air. So by the time we get into and through the weekend, we'll see widespread sub-zero temperatures returning across much of the northern plains and upper Midwest. And by late in the weekend, we could easily see temperatures plunging below minus 20 in parts of the north central United States, likely an area focused across the Dakotas and parts of Minnesota. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. The USDA report is brought to you by Cenex Roadmaster XL Premium highway diesel fuel we'll be right back with more red eye radio with eric harley and gary mcnamara join the conversation using the shell rotella hotline you know, he's eric harley and i'm gary mcnamara 866-90 red eye you know you see all these layoffs at the tech companies here and we're just reading you that uh, the one article from the uh, post-millennial of uh, the uh, the the layoffs at uh, Google and mm. the uh, the employees that are left talking about you need to protect our psychological safety and they're scared that even though they're great performers they can still get laid off and you know I'm sitting there you and I reading this and we're like wow um, not that I don't understand the the initial panic of going oh no I'm going to be laid off it's but it's stressful but, it is. right it yeah. is stressful but but once you get there and and I've experienced it I've said it in my lifetime and it's like. I just, you put up the wall. Yeah. I mean, if there's a wall you ever put, that's the wall I put. It doesn't matter what happened. I look for a new job. Mm-hmm. Now there's that stress in waiting for it to happen. 
Yeah. Uh, but once it happens, it's like, boom. But you sit there and you look at this. You look at the growth over the last, you know, think about it, 20, 25 years of these tech companies, especially over the last 20 years. And yeah. probably yeah. significant job security for a for particular length of time for jobs that are quite specific. Right. And, you know, you sit there and you wonder, all right, are these and you talk about the environment where they they lived in and you 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 see them talking about psychological safety and stuff like that. Things that you wouldn't hear right. when we right. were, you know, we were being laid off. It was mm-hmm. like, well, no, I'm I know I'm always on my own. Right. I don't think you're going to provide me any type of psychological safety or security. You're my employer. Right. You know, and you just wonder how long will it take many of these people? And there's going to be. Uh, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these tech people laid off mm. over the next year. Mm. The IRS the world's most aggressive collection agency. They can seize your property, bank account, and garnish your wages. They cause sleepless nights for millions of Americans. You're a threat to democracy if you don't download our app, Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Yeah, just uh, quickly... Uh, again, when you the the, uh, the layoffs, uh, you know that's going to be happening. That's happening and will continue to happen. I think at the tech companies there, and mm-hmm. you know you think about it, and you wonder about the long term unemployed in that particular uh, uh, profession. These are a lot of people that probably have never been laid off in their lives and right. have had jobs right. for a significant period of uh, of time. And you just wonder. The point I didn't get to finish uh, before we uh, took a break at the bottom of the hour. Uh, was I wonder how the long-term unemployment will be in that particular case or whether they'll assimilate into other jobs very quickly. Mm. And you just wonder. And I go, I don't know how widespread. I mean, when you see the story that the people that are left at Google, not sure if they're going to get laid off or not, and telling management they're pro- – I can't imagine. But this is – because I've been in that situation. I can't imagine if I maybe the next get laid off in two weeks and I'm telling my boss that they need to be concerned about my psychological safety. Because if I say that to my boss, I'm going to be the next to be out the damn door. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean right. that. Yeah, isn't that? And I'm 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 not I'm not trying to put any type of machoism or anything into it. That's just well, the reality. It, it's like no, stay below the radar. Keep doing your job well, because it should be painfully obvious by the t- time you get to that point that your employer is not going to be concerned about your m- mental safety. Your your psychological safety uh, is not going to play into that decision. It's it's going to be the accounting department, and they're going to look at it. And yes, it is numbers, and you can be a top producer and then get let go. And a lot of times it's because they get paid more. There are greater costs. You can let fewer go and promote from within. You know, Google's not a company that's filled with, uh, you know, a lot of people that have, you know, uh, well, are like a young Eric fresh out of high school. Now, these folks have uh, incredible degrees and knowledge Mm -hmm. and experience, and they're pretty good at what they do. What they may not be good at is being prepared for situations like this 
because for many of them, it could be the first time that they've experienced this. I was telling you during the break, one of the things that, because of the way I think, I'm kind of planning, you know, because um, we're doomed. I'm planning for worst case scenario all the time. <laughs> and so I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. I'm working at the world's leading AI company. It's only a matter of time before this job can do itself. Right. You're talking about if you were working. If for Google, I were right. working there, that would be my mindset. The moment right. I realized that thought in the back of my mind, it would be, where is my exit ramp? And, and those are the things that you have to, not that I would be looking to leave, but you've got to have that emergency ramp. And, and those are the things that where, you know, you've got to be prepared. Uh, you want to be, um, you want to, because for those who want to work, there are tons of jobs out there. And who knows for someone like that at, at Google, man, who knows how you could apply the types of skills and mm-hmm. training and school and everything else that they have. Well, the culture, this is, this would be my question. Have, have they in some of these tech companies been coddled to the point where the culture of where they may get hired is completely different? And because culture is so critically important to them, yeah. is it going to be tougher for many? of them to get a job that's i think the those those are the social skills that they lack and and i say social skills because it does apply in in job seeking or job transition uh periods and and those you know are the moments where all right these individuals have lived in a virtual world uh for possibly all their career even to the extent that many of them might have uh, done their job interview virtually you know back in our day you, you had to go to uh, 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 uh kinkos for those under the age of 60 <laughs> it says fedex now but it's pretty much the same place yes. uh you would you would print up your resume yeah. uh you would have to do things that were you would have to uh, leave the house and so these things were required of you to do a, a job. But it also, more importantly, required social skills that this generation is lacking. And and it, it, I'm not trying to dog the generation. It's just they're that's their that's their reality. They don't have the same uh, life and everyday practice that that we had back then because everything that we did was no virtual world, as you mentioned earlier, no cell phones even. And so you had to get out and, and those, you had to develop those social skills in order to, Mm -hmm. to, to, to uh, make sure that you were going to be able to take on the world. And then beyond that, be prepared if something did happen. Applying for a job was a lot harder than it is now. Yeah, the day I got the day I got hired into radio, I quit my job over the phone at seven eleven, September fourth, nineteen eighty four. I'd been training for three weeks at a seven eleven, and I was fresh out of high school, and that was my go to. Well, I'll just go to, down the street. Seven eleven is opening up a bunch of stores in my town. 
And I had applied at the radio station that summer, but I didn't, didn't get a call back. I called, they said, uh, you know, you're done with your training. And on this date, on, on this morning, you're going to call this number and a regional manager is going to kind of walk you through some things. Well, they were going to send me to a store that was on the opposite side of town. And the reason I was working and training at the one near the house was because my car was, the engine was being rebuilt. I didn't have a car, but I said, I can walk here in two minutes and I'll fill in every day if somebody doesn't show up, that kind of thing, right? When they said, nope, sorry. You're going to work at the opposite side of town. You want the job or not? And I said, no. I hung up the phone and within an hour, a guy called me from the radio station. I was the last guy on the list when I got there. A legal pad of names had been crossed out. And I was the last guy he called. And my mom happened to answer the phone that morning. I thought I'd won a radio contest. Guy from the radio stations on the air or on the air on the phone. Uh, you want to uh, hear? He's asking for you. I thought I'd won a contest or something. Says you want a 40-hour-a-week job in radio? I said, yes. Well, in between the time that I quit my 7-Eleven job and I started my radio job, I was as nervous as it gets because I thought to myself, even though I was still living at home, what am I going to do? This is It was devastating in that hour time span because I thought I was on my way. I had been training for three weeks. I thought, and I was going to be a night manager, not just working at 7-Eleven. I'd trained to be a night manager. And I thought, oh, I'm on my way. I'm going to make my parents proud. This is going to be it. And it all came to a screeching halt. You know, when I when I look here at, uh, you know, at the, these tech workers and some very, you know, highly specific jobs, I'm sure, that are going to be tough to translate somewhere else, mm-hmm. depending on where the job openings are. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking when I saw that story yesterday about you know the the tech workers at uh, at Google talking about the fact that they haven't been laid off, and so asking management about their psychological safety because they're so nervous. It was funny because as I'm reading that yesterday, I, I've got you know YouTube's on, and I hit it just music, and it just goes random. Yeah, and next thing you know, up comes from VH1 from like 18 years ago, um, uh, what is it, Bands Reunited. Hmm. And I actually watched two of them, Flock of Seagulls, because <laughs> a buddy of mine now plays guitar for the yeah. but for for them. He's in his own band that's right. been in Canada for years, uh, a very popular band, but he knows the, the, I forgot the score guy, Mike Score. Hmm. He knows Mike Score, the guy with the hair from Flock of Seagulls. They had played together in the 80s, so he's just, you know, filling in for him. It's not like his his number one job. Right. And, but it just was the original flock of seagulls. And then the alarm, remember the band, the alarm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting because they went in and they talked about, you know, you're in such a specific business and you're gone and you go, what do I do? Right. And they talked to the drummer of the alarm who ended up being an investigator for a public defender's office in San Francisco. And yeah. he's from England. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, I decided to go to San Francisco. I knew a friend who said, you know, oh, you know, this is what I do. Hey, you want to intern here? Just intern, not even get paid. He did. Next thing you know, that's where he's working. 
you know, uh, and this is remember, this is 18 years old. And the same thing, you know, for the, uh, you know, the uh, some of the musicians from the alarm, who I'm doing something completely and totally different. And I just I was thinking at that time, you know, with the tech worker, something very specific. There is a terror that hits when you know you're going to be laid off. Of what am I yeah. going to do? Because what, yeah, what just happened? It's a great unknown. Yeah. And I will say that one thing that we did have, and I've talked about this many times on the air when I was 14, and my dad told me, "You're this is not the old economy. You're not going to be able to hold a job for right. 30 years." Exactly. Or, as you were saying, you get laid off from the factory for six weeks because things are down. You get hired back again another six weeks. You're on yeah. unemployment. You have fun. You do that. Right. I knew. I actually was at the tail end of that where I knew a lot of people that had a little bit higher seniority where that yeah. happened to all the time yeah. and they couldn't wait to get laid off. Right. Uh, that never happened. That never happened to me though. But my dad did say, as he always said, you got to be good at three or four, uh, different, different things. And, uh, he said, so you got to be good at something technical. You got to be good at something. You got to be good at, at sales, technical, professional, and then maybe something that you'd really like to do in life. But you can, you know, something that you look at as a goal and you've got those four things and you can jump anytime you want in between them. And that's basically what happened to me. And so you were more prepared because you had done different things where if you had to go something else for a while, it was okay. But how was it looked at today? Back then, I could go. I was in radio. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, I was you know, I was in banking. Mm-hmm. Then I was in radio. Then I was a machinist. Then I got offered jobs in banking again. Does does it does the same thing? Does is human resources a completely different animal? If you walk in and you have a very wide variety of experience, nobody cared back then. Do they care today? Well, it's it depends on the industry. I would say for big tech, it is there was a lot of uh, very unique recruiting techniques that were that were applied to 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 put a. Google together and build it into what it is. Same thing with, you know, I'm sure Twitter and Facebook, yeah. Elon Musk and, and all of these uh, tech companies. You've really got to woo them because it's highly competitive even still with the layoffs because it will get back around to, I'm sure, you know, uh, a growth period. But you've, mm-hmm. they were made to feel like rock stars. So you could actually compare this to those shows you saw <laughs> because now fame is fleeting. You're not the rock star and you could be gone from the big show here at Google and you're freaking out going, I'm not invincible. And that's a tough thing to, when it it's first a, hits you the first time. It the hits first you. time it hits you, right. you think I'm on top of the world. The one time I got laid off in, in radio, December 30th, 1994. Right at the end of my show in the morning, a buddy had called me, and he had worked with me before, and he called me off the air just to say hi, right? And just he said, no, I was traveling through the area. I heard you on the air. Uh, you know, it was Christmas time. It was after Christmas. And he said, I just wanted to say hi. And he says, how are things going? I said, it's great. I'm loving it. <laughs> I hung up the phone, and 10 minutes later, no joke. I was yeah. laid off. I was gone. I was already in the car, and I was driving wow. to wow. Uh, another place to apply for a job because I had to be at my f- other full-time job uh, within an hour of that. You know, so it was, you know, these, it, it happens. 
Yeah. And then you do. I remember going to this emotional state during that time going, why, why would they do that? Why would they do? I was fine. But still mentally dealing with it is a big deal. 86690 Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. If you like listening to Red Eye On Demand, we have more of Eric Harley and guests for you. Download RER's Extra Mile podcast. More topics and issues discussed. When your truck on a cat It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. Here's what I would say to anybody who uh, is still working there at Google is that, um, you know, if if you are concerned, maybe you just kind of keep an eye out. Maybe you could uh, Google it. You could just type in (laughs) job search. (laughs) Uh, Look, I would think that if you're qualified to work at Google, uh, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, just, you, you have the, you have the skills necessary to apply yeah. to different things. Yeah, just yeah. know that uh, it's always scary. Yeah. It's never not scary. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord! We get it! They have chemistry! Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.